0: Over the next couple of months, the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about walking through the book of Hebrews. I want to give you a warning label because the book of Hebrews is a complex, difficult, dense book. It's deeply theological and at times can be very confusing. In fact, William Barclay, who's a renowned New Testament scholar, said that Hebrews is the most difficult book in the New Testament. Now, there are a couple of books I could think of above Hebrews, like that last one, right? But when you get into the complexity of what's happening in Hebrews, it does open up lots of questions and conversations. Part of what complicates this book is we don't even know who wrote it. Now, almost every other book in the New Testament, in the Bible, we have a very high level of confidence about who wrote that book. The book of Hebrews... We have no idea. It could have been Paul. It could have been Luke. It could have been Barnabas. It could have been Apollos. It could have been someone else that's in the apostolic tradition that we aren't aware of. We know that it was an accepted book. It was believed to be of God. It was written because all books that were accepted by the church were written from an apostolic source. We know that it comes from someone right next to Christ, but it doesn't tell us who it is. Now, how does Paul start most of his books? He tells us he's writing it, right? John doesn't necessarily say this is John, but he talks about being the apostle whom Jesus loved. James comes right out for it, tells us he's the brother of Jesus. But the book of Hebrews gives no sort of introduction. In fact, most people, because of that, wonder if the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon. So I thought today I could just walk in and read the whole book of Hebrews. Right. It's a sermon. We just let that go. Right. We don't know who wrote the book. In fact, Origen, who was an early church father, I mean, we're talking 100, 150, 200 years away from Christ, says only God knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. In addition to that, it's just dense. So today, we're just going to cover the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. And here's what I want to tell you, alright? Just in those first four verses, you have issues of revelation, of creation, of trinity, of the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament, of Christology, of atonement, of what are angels. That's in the introduction. And then as the book begins to unfold, it gets even more complex, you're like, man, pastor, you're really selling us good on this book we're about to study, right? But here's the reason I'm excited, because in fact, in in spite of the fact that it is complex or maybe because of it, in spite of the fact that it is difficult or maybe because of it, in spite of the fact that it is deeply theological, but most assuredly because of it, it is a deeply and immensely practical book you see we don't know who wrote the book of hebrews and by the way just a disclaimer there are going to be times i'm going to tell you this because i know myself there are going to be times in the midst of this series perhaps even in this sermon today when i will mention somebody's name and say they said and then quote hebrews that is just a mistake in my brain that is aging y'all know that right My, my i'm getting older I have, no longer do I have a four-year-old in the house. My little girl, Ava, our youngest, turns five today. It hurt me this morning. Like, she's my baby, right? And So as I'm getting older, I know none of you have experienced this. Sometimes your mouth says things before your brain gets a chance to think about it. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today? All right. And so I may say, Paul said, and just let it go like it is, confident. I don't need it somebody we don't know, Paul wrote I know that, okay? It just happens sometimes, alright? Or what see, y'all get me off track every week, alright? So we're gonna study this book, and it's immensely practical. We don't know who wrote it, but we know to whom it is written, and we know why it is written. And here's the thing about it, okay? So the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Hebrews. That's one oh one there, right? Jewish Christians living in Rome. Here's what happened. Some evangelists came and started to talk to them about Christianity. Perhaps Paul, perhaps some evangelists, perhaps Paul and his imprisonment had started a movement that had grown. At this point, the church is growing. But a problem started to occur because Christianity became a persecuted class. And they were given these ideas that Jesus would solve for them the biggest issues of their lives. And yet they found out because they were Christians, they could no longer get work. And they were harassed in the streets. They were persecuted for their faith. Now, it had not gone to the place of being killed yet. We'll find that out in the book. But the persecution was real. The ostracization from their family was real. The impact of following Christ had been negative, And they began to ask the question, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And so this book, in a world that is consistently bringing up challenges to the traditional gospel of Jesus Christ, is a reminder that Jesus is absolutely worth it. It's for anybody that has ever had doubts about what they're doing and following Christ. It's for anyone that has ever had questions about how they have decided to live their lives in obedience to Jesus. It's for those of us in a culture that is consistently telling us that science has disproven Christianity. Or that reason ought to make us realize that these are fables and fairy tales. People in those small churches were wondering, is Jesus worth it? Over the next several weeks, we're going to walk through the book of Hebrews. And there's one central theme to the entire book of Hebrews, from Hebrews 1 all the way to the last verse. There is one central theme That the writer, whoever it may be, is communicating to a group of Christians that are struggling. And the simple message is this. Don't give up. Jesus is better. Don't give up. Jesus is better. In fact, the word better is used 19 times in the entire New Testament. And 13 of them are used in the book of Hebrews. Over the next few weeks, we're going to find out that we have a better promise and a better reward and a better treasure because of a better sacrifice that comes from a better Savior who is the better prophet that is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Melchizedek. He is the best. The title of this messages series is Good, Better, Jesus. Now, you know what usually comes after good, better Best, right? But this whole couple of months, we're going to talk about the one that is better than best. And that's Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something, all right? Ellie Thomas, our very capable assistant, children's director, creative director, communications director, developed this slide. And here's what I want you to see. Now, don't look at this too much because some of you... We'll spend your whole time trying... I'll have to take this slide off the screen because you'll want to look at them, all right? Surrounding good, better Jesus are words that we might think of that could replace him in our lives. And so right here, you've got power in red. Right here, you've got friends. Down here, you've got acceptance and sports and success and money. But in the center of it all is the fact that no matter what else in life may come... There is nothing better than Jesus. And I'm going to tell you about an activity at the end of the service. And I'm telling you this now because if I don't tell you now, I might forget it. And I don't want you to let me forget it. Anybody notice something new in the lobby today? Beautiful wood, nails, string, 1400 feet of string, 600 nails. And it's spelled out what? Jesus is, right? Now, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do with it, but we're going to do something with it. So if I get to the end of the service today, and I ain't told you what we're going to do with it, somebody yell, tell us what we're going to do with it. All right? Hebrews chapter 1. Now, here's the reality of what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're not going to be able to get through every verse of Hebrews, because to do that in a way that would give honor to what Hebrews is would take us years. That means you have lots of questions. For instance, at the end of today, it's going to bring up the issue of angels, and I'm not going to talk about it at all. And I know nobody in this room is ever curious about angels. Okay, that's a lot. You are, alright? And so, over the next few weeks, you're going to have questions that I'm not going to answer on Sunday morning. And so we're going to try to set up a way for me to answer some of your questions that are coming from the book of Hebrews. Now, some of you aren't going to be very happy about this, because the only way I know to do it effectively is through something called Facebook. And if you don't have a Facebook account, then go visit your friend and tell them you need to look at their Facebook account. And on Thursday of this week, we're going to do a Facebook Live where I'm going to answer any question you've got about Hebrews 1 and 2. Okay? Now... How do I know what you're asking? You're going to email me what you want to know. All right. So email me what you want to know or call the church office and say, Deborah, tell him I want to know this. All right. Uh, Deborah's real excited. I just told you all to call and ask her questions. All right. And so, uh, you call and ask her questions anyways. We call Deborah Google before Google. All right. Um, you call and ask questions say, Hey, I want to know why I want to know what it's talking about angels. I want to know why it says this. And then I'm going to do a video and we'll make those videos available online in different places. And if you just don't know how to do that, come to the church and we'll get everybody around this computer screen and we'll watch it. All right. And so we're going to try to answer those questions because there's just no way I can answer everything. All right. Here's my goal and why we're going to choose what we're going to choose over the next few weeks. My goal is that we will grow in our knowledge and devotion of Jesus week by week. And that every week, Jesus will become a bigger and grander and more majestic to us as we leave this place. You know, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And one of my favorite um, writings of his is The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this beautiful scene in there where Aslan, the lion, the Christ-like figure is meeting again for the first time in this particular book, Prince Caspian, with Lucy, who's the youngest of the kids. And as she runs up to him, she says, Aslan, it's so good to see you. You've grown bigger. And he says, that's because you have. Now think about that for a minute. What usually happens with things that stay the same as you grow bigger? They seem smaller. And she says, don't you mean that you've grown bigger, not me? And he says, no, Lucy, you'll discover that every year as you grow, I will grow bigger as well. And the picture there, literally, as we mature in our faith with Christ, Christ gets bigger. And that's my goal over the next few weeks as we look at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. He goes on to say, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. And then it ends. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. I don't know if he called it or not, but that is some dense force. Some deeply theological ideas. But it starts us off with an understanding of three reasons that Jesus is better than anything we could ever imagine. Why Jesus is the best there could ever be. And the first of those reasons is that it shows us that Jesus is better because he reveals God to us. It says right at the very beginning, long ago, God spoke to the fathers. By the way, I want you to understand this, that verse 1 through 4 in your Bible is probably split up into several sentences. But in the original language, it is one long sentence. And in that one long sentence, he begins by saying, in fact, in the original language, in many ways, in many places, in many times, in different ways, God has spoken to the fathers in the past. Now the idea obviously is that throughout the generations from the time that He created the world until He called Abraham until they went into the promised land until David and Solomon and the kings and the prophets that God used a variety of ways to communicate to the people His truth and who He is. I mean, you think about it in the past, in the Old Testament, in the former days, all the ways God spoke. He spoke through visions and dreams and angels. He spoke in loud voices and he spoke in a whisper. He wrote on walls. He spoke through burning bushes. He spoke through a book about romantic love. He spoke through a shepherd who wrote praise hymns and psalms that called condemnation down on God's enemies. He even spoke through a donkey in a variety of ways, in a variety of times. God spoke. But the point of this is that, but now He has given us His ultimate communication. The ultimate communication is Jesus. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And then he gives us the reasons below that we'll unpack throughout the rest of the message. But the point is that when he spoke in Jesus, he gave us the ultimate, the final, the perfect communication. Not only in what Jesus had to say, but in who Jesus is. You see, Jesus spoke truth like no prophet had ever spoken before. Jesus represented God in a way that no prophet had ever represented God before. In fact, the entirety of the Old Testament, the entirety of those things where God revealed Himself in the calling of Abraham, in the covenant with Noah, in the covenant with David, in the writing of the Ten Commandments, and the law at whole, and all of those things He was pushing towards, pointing towards, giving us a glimpse of the One who would come as the ultimate communication of Jesus. You see, we read the Old Testament sometimes, and we read the stories, and we talk about emulating the people that are there, and emulating Abraham, or emulating Moses or emulating Noah or emulating David. And yet all of those men were deeply flawed. Abraham had a mouth that liked to lie on occasion about his wife. Moses got mad and struck a rock. Noah got drunk and allowed things to happen that shouldn't have happened. David committed adultery and killed a man. And so the point of the Old Testament is not be like David or be like Daniel. The point of the Old Testament is that these were flawed human beings. But what they spoke about, what they said, what Jeremiah and Isaiah and Hosea pointed towards was an ultimate communication that was coming from God. And that communication is Jesus. A prophet could say, thus saith the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. But Jesus is the word of God. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and nothing was made that was not made through Him. He's the ultimate communication. When He spoke, the people around Him said, He speaks as no one we have ever heard. His words were able to raise the dead, able to heal the sick. Touching the hem of His garment cleared a disease of years in length. He spoke and the wind and the water obeyed. The words of Jesus were different altogether than the words of the prophet because they were the words of God. The Old Testament was just a precursor, a good one, a needed one. One that reminds us of the grace and the mercy and the truth and the holiness of God. But one that was also like a tutor teaching us to learn those things. So that when the exact representation, when the word of God made his appearance, we would recognize him for who he is. In the former times, in many ways, in many places, God spoke through prophets. But in these days, he has spoken through Jesus. I told you it was one long sentence, that chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 is one long sentence in the original language. And here's the thing that's really cool about that is, one long sentence means you can only have one main verb. You can have compound verbs sometimes, but in this one there's one main verb. And does anybody want to guess what the main verb is? God spoke through Jesus. Through Jesus is the, meta, uh, the preposition that modifies spoke. You didn't want a grammar lesson, but you got one. And so the main point of this whole first four verses is that God spoke through Jesus. Every story in the Old Testament is about him. Prophet and angels gave the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. That to which the prophets pointed faultily, Jesus embodied perfectly. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, says that Jesus is the truer and better Adam, who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. That Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was actually sacrificed for us. That Jesus is the truer and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the truer and better Joseph who sits at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the truer and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the truer and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for his friends that aren't very smart. Jesus is the truer and better David, whose victory became ours, even though we never lifted a stone to help him. He is the truer and better Samson, crushed under the weight of the wicked world to conquer our enemies and save us. He is the truer and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so that the angel of death can pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. In the end, the Bible's not about us at all, it's about Jesus. Now, I don't know where you are, but that had been a really good place for an amen. I just want to be honest with you. He is the word of God, but it's not just that. Look what it says in the passage. Hope you've got your Bibles open. He has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first three, look at this. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. The radiance of His glory. The exact representation of His nature. I love those two expressions. In the Old Testament, they kept talking about the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, that which holds together and shows off who God is, that you couldn't look into the face of God because if you did, if you looked into the face of God, you could not live. And so you had to look at the outside, kind of the presence of God, you had to turn your back and see it. When they get to the temple and they dedicate the temple, the glory of God so fills the temple that they can't do anything about going in. They just fall down where they are and begin to worship. And it says to us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. It's the testimony of God's glory. You ever walked out into the noonday sun and looked up and you can't hardly see anything? Because of the shine of what's happening. You just see the beams that are around it. Do y'all know there's a big eclipse coming? Did y'all know that? I don't think we have any idea how crazy it's going to be in this little town on that day. They canceled school everywhere. Did y'all know that? Canceled school. My kids don't go to school that day because there's an eclipse coming. Now, when you first hear that, you think, now how ridiculous. That's as ridiculous as when I was growing up in Dyersburg. We got out for earthquake day. December 3rd, 1990. You know why? Because some guy predicted an earthquake was going to hit Dyersburg that day. They let school out. Now we don't understand, you don't understand the fear that exists in that part of the world about an earthquake. Y'all ever been to Real Foot Lake? Now, there's a good chance that's what Dyersburg if an earthquake hits, all right? Cypress trees everywhere and catfish on the on the sides, all right? But the truth is this is a once in a lifetime event in Goodlitzville. It's coming right through us. Right? Like, right we're on the optimal path. For the world to see this thing. I've heard, this is a rumor, but I'm, you know, nobody would ever say anything on there and that's not true. Um, That hotels are booked. Because people are driving from all over the country because we're in the path. We get it as long as anybody around, just about. We get a full eclipse for like a minute and a half. It's a long time. Now, here's the thing. What have you always been told about an eclipse? You can't look at it. So we're going to come observe something we can't look at. You thought about that? Because what happens if you look at it? It blinds you. Now, I don't know the last person that tried it to see if it worked, but it blinds you. Now, why does it blind you? ever thought about that? Why does it blind you? Because it's covering up the sun. Right? Like, it would seem like it would be the time to look at the sun. It's going to be covered up. But the truth is, the radiance of the sun, the intensity of the sun is so intense. So intense. That when it's concentrated like that, you can't handle it. I just hope it's not cloudy that day. You ever thought about that? I hope it doesn't rain on our parade, literally. I got events for two days at Moss Wright. It's going to be a great... I mean, I'm making jokes. It's going to be a fun event. I'm excited about it. Just hope it's eclipsey, right? Not, I don't know. What, what do you call a forecast when the sun's going to be covered up by something other than clouds, right? The radiance is so intense that you can't look at it. Here's the thing that I love about Jesus. What it describes Him as is the human form Of the radiance of God that gives us an understanding of who God is. He's not a representative of God. He is God. In fact, that next verse says, or the end of that verse says... He is the exact expression of His nature. Now that's a tightly worded original language that means He is the spitten image, the exact representation of God. In fact, the word for expression there of His nature, the, the word that is used there is character. He is the essence of who God is. Jesus is better. Because he reveals who God is to us. By the words he speaks, by the life he lived, and the reality of who he is. Secondly, Jesus is better because he represents us before God. God incarnate is our representative before God the Father. Here's what it says. Just look at this. End of verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. We'll get to that last part in a minute. we got lots to get to here still. After making purification for sins... You want to love about that particular verse in this entirety of Hebrews? That is literally like three words in the original language that almost, if you're just reading through this, seems like just an added in thing. But it is some of the most significant theological words that you will find in the New Testament. After making purification for sins. You see, the difference between Jesus and the prophets is that the prophets represented... God on behalf of man, right? They spoke to man from God. They were God's representative. The difference between Jesus is that he is not just God's representative to us. He is our representative to God. He intercedes on our behalf. He speaks on our behalf. But what gives him the ability to do that is that we will find out in the book of Hebrews over the next few weeks. He is the exactly like us in that he was tempted in every way we were. And unlike us in the fact that he did not give in. And because he understands who we are and has lived a perfect human life. He can give his life as a sacrifice for us. And then intercede on our behalf as we come and accept the forgiveness that comes only from him. You see, in the Old Testament, in the old way, the way that people got purifications of sins is they brought animals, they brought livestock, they brought whatever they could, they gave it into the priest, and the priest burned it for them as an offering to God. Once a year, the entire nation had to come together and offer a sacrifice for all the sins of the nation. Uh, they would have a scapegoat that would go out, and they would talk about God's forgiveness happening, but it was a sacrifice that had to happen year after year after year after year. After year, after year, for thousands of years, the blood of animals was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and after making purification for our sins, once and for all, He gave His life on a cross, and the blood that He spilled will never be spilled again. It was a once-for-all sacrifice that doesn't have to be repeated. Jesus is better. He purifies us. So we've talked about this for the last few weeks. The biggest problem we have in life is not the problems that we think. The biggest problem we have in life is that we have been separated from God by our sin. I was watching a debate between a Christian and a renowned atheist. It was on a popular television show. And he was asking questions. The atheist started asking questions about all the atrocities that religion has committed And how they can claim to represent God when they have committed such atrocities. And the Christian scholar gave a brilliant answer, which is the Christian answer. He said, well, part of the thing is we have to understand what really is the nature of humanity. And if you believe that basically humanity is good at its core and that religion then messes that up... You have a valid argument. But if you believe, as I do, that at its core, humanity is not necessarily good. In fact, it is sinful and corrupt. And that religion is a way, uh, specifically ours, in believing in Jesus, is a way to redeem and transform the corrupt nature of humanity. Then you see that yes, there have been missteps in the history of religion. But overall, it has been a positive force in the world that shows people what it means to live in a higher level that's good right i wish i come up with it myself but i didn't but the point is we live in a world that wants to tell us that man is basically good but the biggest problem we have is that we are not that at our core we are sinful human beings who chose to walk away from god and because of that we need a savior and jesus purified us from our sins jesus is better Because he displays to us who God is. Because he represents us before God. And thirdly and finally, Jesus is better because he reigns for all eternity. You know what I love? What I love is that it tells us about past, present, and future in these few verses. First of all, it tells us that he's appointed him heir of all things. Which means he is ruler, he is king forever But secondly, it says that He made the universe through Him. That Jesus reigns by being the Creator. That He created the universe. He created us. That in the immensity and majesty of the universe is a thumbprint of the reality of the Creator who did it in Jesus. And because of that, He cares deeply about us and about this planet and about this universe. In fact, it tells us that it is not only Him that is made it all, it tells us that after it talks about the expression of radiance and of his nature, it says that he is sustaining all things by his word. That just in controlling the environment of where we live and sustaining it all, Jesus is in charge of that. So he created the world, the universe. He's sustaining it. Can I tell you this? Nobody cares more about the earth and its inhabitants than Jesus. He created it. He's sustaining it. But here is the picture that I love. I love this picture. It's at the end of verse 3. And it says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the Old Testament, in their ancient Near East uh, culture, that when someone sat down beside the king, it was a symbol of authority and equality and that he has rule. And I love this picture. I love it because it says he sat down at the right hand of majesty. One of my favorite parts of the day, like we've had a, a long couple of days. We have two birthdays in the next three days. And kids today expect to have birthday parties. I don't know if you knew that. Like they expect us to recognize that it's their birthday. So, Ava's birthday is today, and then Luke turns 11 on Tuesday. Two birthday parties. We got people coming to our house. We got family meeting us for lunch after. A week from today, we leave for century kid. I've been dealing with So, it's been a busy couple of days. And so, we have, over the last couple of days, been... Doing some things to our house, doing some cleaning, doing some painting, doing some uh, outside work, mowing the lawn like you have to do, but cutting down some branches, getting all this stuff together. And you know one of my favorite parts of the day is when I'm done, sweaty and tired, I go into my living room and there's a recliner there. One of my favorite parts of the day is when I sit down. Now here's what I've learned. Guys, this is some tips for you. Some of you have been married longer than I have, but just in case you had not learned this. So he's not been married almost 19 years. It'll be 19 years and two weeks. In 19 years I've learned, I better not sit down before the job is done. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I know you're not sitting down in there. You ever heard that, guys? Ladies, I know you never said that, but I better not sit down till the job is done. Jesus didn't sit down Until the job was done. It is finished. Jesus reigns for all eternity. Now I want you to think about what we've talked about. Just in really three verses. We didn't even do verse four. But think about these three verses. That Jesus is better. Because he shows us exactly who God is. He gives us the word of the Lord. Secondly, he's better because he didn't just give us a list of do's and don'ts and responsibilities. He stepped into our place and paid the penalty for our sins and represented us before God. Died for you and for me. And he's better because forever he reigns. He created it. He sustains it. And get this after he has sat down and accomplished the work God sent him to do, he is now moving history towards an ending point when he will be glorified above all else. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and will spend eternity, we will, with him, reigning forevermore. So the writer of Hebrews, Paul, Luke, Apollos, Barnabas, whoever it is, says to these Jewish believers in three verses, don't give up. Jesus is better. And what he's going to say for the rest of this book, and these are our applications for today, and then we're going to be done. What he says in this book is two things. First of all, embrace Jesus. Embrace him. I mean, why would you not want to? Embrace the one who created it all, who's sustaining it all, who took our place and who tells us and shows us who God is. And the third, second thing he says is, don't drift. Don't drift. You see, sometimes we need to be reminded of this because life happens. Things just happen. And before we know it, we've spent a month, a week, a year without really spending time with the Lord reading his word, spending time in prayer, sharing our faith with another person in our community. And we're just going through the motions, drifting away. And he says, don't drift. My challenge to you, based on the fact that Jesus is better today, is to embrace him and don't drift. Let's pray together.